0: Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you. I only want to talk about one book, and we only have 10 of them here, but this is the book I wrote I spent the longest time and did the most research on because it was the it was the deepest subject I ever tried to talk about or write about. When the academic dean of the seminary I graduated from heard that I was writing on this subject, he said that's really challenging because he said there's probably more written on that than any other subject. So I spent several years, and it's it's called Destined for the Cross. 16 Reasons Jesus Had to Die. And this book actually is because my daughter's favorite sermon that she ever heard me preach is the one I'm gonna bring this morning. And uh, even though its title was officially Seven Reasons Jesus Had to Die, I almost never got past three and I never got past four of those reasons because they're just, you know, I, I thought I could do a quicker job than what I could so I'm, you know, uh, not going to apologize, but we won't get to all seven of them. I'm not even going to mention the other three, but I do want to uh, talk about four of them. And uh, if you would, uh, these will be out there somewhere. And, um, um, and if you'd also like to follow what some of the stuff we're writing and what some of the students of the seminary is writing, it's very relevant for today, relevant to today. Uh, then we're we'll gonna put a QR code up. We don't capture any of your information on this. It just takes you to my profile and you'll be able to download. And uh, I think presently the first titles, uh, two or three, they're in Portuguese because um, I have a lot more favor in Brazil than I have the United States. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> I've preached in more cities in Brazil, I have the United States. And uh, But if you just keep scrolling down, you'll find um, the same books in English. I just got back from Brazil recently, and that's why it's up there, and I'm getting ready to go back in about a week, uh, a week and a half maybe. And uh, so you'll see the Portuguese and the English, and again, they're free. Um, that's all I want to say about it because I don't have enough time. Um, and so and since we only have 10 of these, i um, Whoever wants them, you, know, you can find them out there. What I want to talk to you about today is two questions, and it pertains to why Jesus had to die. And I, I, I remember the first time I preached this sermon, I was in uh, Medellin, um, uh, Colombia, and uh, the missionary that we were working with had planted a very large church, several thousands um, he spent most of his adult life there after he got out of school. Um, he, he told me when we had about seven people with me on the team, and when we started to get out of the van, he said, now be careful. Medellin right now is the murder capital of the world. Don't get out toward the edge of the crowd. That's where the stabbings and, um, take place. And uh, so I'm starting to preach, and I can tell they don't know who I am. And I, wanted, I just said, and I had this dream as a kid that I was assassinated. And, and I'm, I'm, we're down in this federal building and this pavilion and there's big two-story buildings and all the way coming each way. And I'm, I got a big spotlight on me. And I felt like I had a bullseye uh, uh, written on me. And because uh, I'd had this, you know, second grade I had this dream like three times and the enemies remind me of it. And uh, I thought, I'm not going to go into fear. So I said, you don't know who I am. I'm just a gringo to you. But what I'm saying is going to be the truth, and if it's not the truth, if what I say doesn't happen, then run me out of town. Consider me a fake. God is going to heal people today, and he's going to set people free from their demons. As I preach this gospel of why Jesus had to die, and, and, I, and I remember thinking, Lord, you better show up. Because <laughs> I don't want to be run out of town. Anyway, we, we preached the gospel and about, you know, 75 people responded right then to uh, the message. And I felt like the Lord said, that wasn't all you preached about. Those, they were forgiven of their sins, but you preached about deliverance. Go for deliverance right now. So then we prayed for deliverance. And I just remembered as I'm doing it that we don't have a room to take anybody. I mean, there's nothing here except nothing. I mean, there's no place to go except behind where I'm at. And as the people started manifesting the demons, and some of them were like being carried out and they're just doing all types of stuff and carried to the back and in the background. And now as I'm preaching, you can hear the screaming and everything going on. And and I said, but but the other was about healing. And so we went for healing. And after we did, they saw the the manifestations of of the demonic that was responding to the power of the gospel. I said, now those of you that heard the gospel a while ago for the forgiveness of your sin, now you've seen the power of God to set people free from their demons. How many are you now ready to accept Jesus that weren't a while ago? Gave another invitation, had about 25 more. Then we went for healing, gave another invitation after that, and we had about 25 more. And uh, it was the first time I'd ever preached this message. And so we're going to look at Matthew, because I believe God is just as powerful today in Atlanta as he was in Medellin. And the gospel is to have signs following. And uh, uh, and I want to talk about the benefits, why Jesus died. What benefits did his death bring to us today? Now, I know that most of you are already, uh, have already been forgiven of your sins, but there may be some that hasn't, or there may be some that ha- you were forgiven and you sh- are forgiven, but your relationship to God has grown cold, or perhaps you may be uh, wearing the mask. The word for hypocrite was the, a word for an actor on a play that had maybe two or three roles and they wear a different masks, and so you're not really seeing the real... And, um, and you may be in that role, and God wants to set you free. Most of the times, we, the, the hypocrite Christian almost always is a double hypocrite. And what I mean by that, you're not only pretending to be something you're not while you're in church... But when you're in the world and in the bar or wherever you're at in the, you know, whatever, if you're hanging out with some guys and and gals and they're doing something they shouldn't be doing you're in the middle of it, you're still wearing a mask and you're pretending to be happy, but you're really not. Down deep, you know that it was better being with a father than being in the land of the prodigal. And so... You know, I always thought it was really interesting. A lot of people say, I'm not going to go to church. There's hypocrites there. But how many hypocrites are there in the bars? I've never seen, I'm not going to go to the bar anymore. There's hypocrites there. They're just pretending to have fun. They're just, they're really miserable. Anyway, we're going to read the scripture. If you have your Bibles, you may want to open to Matthew uh, 27th chapter... And we'll read verse um, 11 through 23. And I want to pay attention to these two questions that Pilate asked because they're extremely important. And I believe that if I could explain one of these questions to the crowd in Medellin, if I could explain the answer to one of the questions, they would make the right choice to the second question or to the other question so let's read meanwhile jesus stood before the governor and the governor asked him are you the king of the jews yes it is as you say jesus replied and when was accused when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders he gave no answer then pilate asked him don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you but jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who's called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. And while Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've had a, I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed, crucified. Which of the two... Do you want me to reach to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered, what shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Pilate asked, and they all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Two questions. Why? Why have Jesus crucified Second question, which one do you want me to release to you today? As you sit before me today, you are more culpable for the decision you make than that first crowd was that stood before Pilate. Because we have more light, we have a better understanding. We know more. We, We have a billion people that have, I'm following Jesus in this church. We have the resurrection. They did not have a resurrection yet. We have Pentecost with the power of another, the most powerful force in the world, the power of God moving in response to prayers in Jesus' name. We know the rest of the story, but they didn't. They had seen Jesus. They may have even seen some of his miracles. But we have the full understanding that he's not just the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And so we're in our decision, when we decide, am I going to live for Jesus, And we ask the question, why? We have more answers as to the why and much greater understanding now than that crowd did. And to the degree that we have light, there's more culpability, more responsibility. And so as Pilate stood before probably not this many people, most commentators do not believe there were even a few hundred people there. When Jesus was crucified. So the question is going to be. Why. Did Jesus have to die. And I. You know. In my book. I got 16. I read another book. That had 50 reasons. You know. There's all. It is. It's so profound. And so deep. And often. In the American church. We have one or two understandings. But he. What he did for us. Is so much more than we often think. You know. It's. It, he died in our place. Yes, we can have forgiveness because of what he did at the cross. Yes, but there are other things, too, that he accomplished at the cross. And I definitely don't have time to go into the 16 main reasons I felt, but I've tried to give you four. And if I do a good job and Holy Spirit backs this up, I believe, and it's not just going to be about salvation. We're going to each thing. I want to talk about something that will available for you today. And no matter if you've already been a Christian 50 years, there's probably something I'm going to talk about in one of these four reasons you you could avail yourself of today. But you will avail yourself of his benefits at the cross in the same way that you became a Christian by faith. You receive all of these things by faith. And as we preach a Christ centered, cross centered gospel, it releases faith for all of these things, not just forgiveness. So the second question I will ask you at the end is, which one do you want me to release to you today? Um, Years ago, Bob Dylan had a song that says, you got to serve somebody. People say, well, I don't want to make a decision. Not to make it is to make it. So why did he have to die? Number one. There isn't a really particular order. I'm actually going to change the order I I normally do this in. But Jesus had to die so that there could be a release of healing into this world. Um, Michael Brown, Dr. Michael Brown makes the statement in his book, Israel's Divine Healer, which is an amazing book, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't, I don't think I can say it exactly right, but he said, in the Old Testament, healing was like a, a, a stream or a creek that became a flood in the New Testament. When the Son of Man showed up, who was also the Son of God, that little stream of healing you see in the Old Testament become a deluge, a flood in comparison healing was at the cross his blood was shed for forgiveness and he gave his body in his body he bore our sicknesses and our diseases and by his stripes we are healed this past weekend we saw a lot of people receive healing and all over the world people are being healed today in the name of jesus the major number one reason people come to jesus on the continent of africa is so that they can be healed, and that's the number one reason. In Latin America, one of, the, one of the main reasons people come to Jesus is so that the husbands and fathers can get free of their alcoholism and drug addictions and addictions and become a good husband and a good father, and they have a praying wife that's praying for the Holy Spirit to convict them, and that also comes from Jesus' death at the cross. In America, we, want, we, we make our gospel so much an argument rather than a demonstration of his power. Wow. And as we move into a post-Christian culture and more and more of our percentage of our people, do uh, the, the way Billy Graham, which was a great way in the time that he lived, you could actually use the Bible as the apologetic. You could say, the Bible says, and most Americans, saved or unsaved, would give authority to what you, what you would say after that, because they believed it was the Word of God. But we're raising up a generation that uh, is coming, that already is here, where a lot of Americans no longer believe the Bible is the Word of God. And that's what Paul faced, that's what the early church faced, that's what the missionaries That's what lay faces in Pakistan. They don't believe the Bible's the word of God. They got another book. When we go to the mission fields, you can't say the Bible says and it bring authority. What you do is you got to do what the Bible people in the Bible did. You preach the simple gospel. You preach the cross with signs following. And when they see the power of conviction, the power of healing the power of deliverance, then they come to Jesus and having come to Jesus back because they've heard the gospel and seen the demonstration of the power to back up the gospel, now now they believe this is the Bible, this is the word of God. But you're starting in a different place. And as we reach this generation, we have got, I believe, to focus more on also demonstrating the gospel we preach by believing that what he did, he still does. That it really is true. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So, healing. You don't have to be a famous evangelist to wanna have availability and faith in what he did at the cross for healing. My wife raised my younger two children when I was called to Toronto, and uh, the revival broke out. My children were 12, my son, oldest son, eight, my daughter, three, my second son, and one, my fourth, third son, fourth child. My wife then became a single mother 50% to 66% of our lives as long as the kids were in the house. That meant there were many times that her husband, me, and their father was gone, and she had to handle things alone. And I remember when my son was only two years old and he had severe asthma, and he almost died once, uh, turned actually blue lips and blue fingers and lost control of his bladder, and, um, and so he, he had asthma. And I, I remember, and I put this in one of our books about spiritual gifts, Gifts are like tools that God gives us to help us with life, okay? And because of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, we can handle things that we because we have help, supernatural help. So my son is in this asthma attack. I'm not there. Even though I hadn't started traveling yet, I, I'm not there. I'm gone. I'm, I'm uh, working with the church. And uh, he goes in this asthma attack. And she starts praying for him, and he's, he's, he's like he's breathing through a little bitty straw, and you can just barely get air. And, and finally, he says, Mom, don't pray. Don't pray this way. And she says, What do you mean, don't pray this way? You know, pray when I don't recognize the words you're using. A two-year-old. I'm not talking theology here. I'm talking, I need help. My son is, he's having an asthma attack, oh God. And she starts praying, starts praying and she's praying in English and he's two year old. He doesn't know any arguments between Baptists and Pentecostals about tongues or, you know, it's this or that or whatever. He just says, pray the other way when I don't understand your words. And she says, why, he works better. Now, that's not to be anything other than I'm telling you a story from my life, my wife's life. The first miracle we had in, was in uh, Trinity City, at Nashville, near Nashville. And uh, I was so excited because at midnight, this woman gets healed of final stages of Parkinson's. It's, it was an instant healing. I mean, it, it was crazy. And... and I was excited because I was on a 40 day fast to see miracles. And this was the 23rd day, it was the first time I'd ever seen a creative miracle. Because she needed a, a millions of brain cells to be recreated for her to be healed. And I called my wife the next day to tell her, I'm so excited. And I started to tell her, I said, We had an amazing miracle. She said, Yeah, it happened at midnight, didn't it? I said, How'd you know that? Because Jeremiah, my youngest, who was one, started to have a severe headache at midnight. And he started screaming. And I had to pray for him till 5 in the morning. And if I stopped praying, he would start screaming from that headache. By the way, that's the only headache that boy's ever had in his life. And then she said, and Randy, when I prayed in tongues, it worked better. I'm not talking, that's just an example of a gift. But the gifts of the Spirit help us with life. They're very practical. We want to make them all theological, but they're they're given to help us in just living life. And so Jesus died not only that you could be forgiven, but that you could be filled or baptized with the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, which are his gifts, he's the Lord of the church, and by the Spirit they are uh, 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 given John 7, 37, uh, Jesus had just said, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink, and it talks about out of your belly flow rivers of living water, and and he's he's talking about the Holy Spirit. And John said, the apostle John said in verse 37, this he spoke of the Holy Spirit, which had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. I had one of the greatest... uh, Baptist scholars in the seminary I went to in Louisville, and uh, he was an Englishman, and he taught. I, I, I actually audited the class. I already had a class in John, but when he was going to I'm going to audit his class because he was really famous. And I remember he would talk about, when you see this word glorified in John's gospel, it, it, it has a meaning that we often don't really understand. What did John mean that Jesus, the Spirit hadn't been given because Jesus hadn't been glorified? What did it mean for Jesus to be glorified? It meant to be raised up. He said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. We often think, well, that's, as we lift him up in preaching, he's going to draw all men. Well, that's true, but that's not all that it means. To be glorified is to be, uh, and the number one way God glorifies his name in the Bible is through what he does and then testimony what he does. For Jesus to be glorified, it involved being lifted up. It involved being lifted up in crucifixion. But he would not have been glorified if it stopped there. He had to be lifted up in resurrection. But he wouldn't have been able to pour out the Spirit if it stopped there. So he was lifted up on the cross, lifted up from the grave, and then lifted up to the right hand of the Father, from which place he now pours out the Holy Spirit. In all of this is what's meant he hadn't yet been glorified so that the spirit could be given. The difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant is not law and grace. The difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant is now I'm going to write the laws that was on tablets of stone. I'm going to write them on your heart. The Spirit that came upon prophets and kings is going to be able to come upon every person. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will have dreams and visions. And and so this giving of the Holy Spirit that we live in in this dispensation is only possible because Jesus was glorified. The cross is more than a message of forgiveness. It's that. That's foundational. Justification. Well, I'm about to get ahead of myself. Anyway, so that's the first thing. One of the reasons that he did, he, oh wow, he died for your forgiveness. Secondly, I mean, for healing. Secondly, he died that you could be forgiven. When I was uh, uh, 21 years old, I was pastoring in Indiana while I was going to a seminary. The church was about 100 miles away from the seminary. And uh, uh, one day I was preaching, and it was a Baptist church, and I was American Baptist, and I was preaching. And I, I, I remembered something my dad had done. When I was a little boy, he's given a testimony meeting, and he said this, I want to live my life. My dad had a... I always thought he had an eighth-grade education. He told me right before he died. He said, no, I actually didn't. I, I went through it twice, but the guy didn't like me. He kept beating me, and I never did really graduate. Got, I got through the seventh, I got credit for the seventh grade, but anyway, Uh, and and my dad said, I want to live my life so that my three children can walk in my footsteps. So I don't want to do anything in my life I wouldn't want my children to be doing. And I never forgot that. I was a little boy when I heard dad say that. And I I shared that in in my Baptist church. And when I did, this big woman, I mean, she's like six foot and probably 200 to 250 pounds. She jumped up on the back road. She'd never been to church before. She ran to the door and hit the door so hard it swung back and hit the brick wall. Bam. And I thought, who in the world was that? Did her dad just die? Something hooked her. So I asked people later, and they said, oh, Randy, stay away from her. She's dangerous. She's one of the most notorious persons in this county. I don't know why she was at church, but if she gets mad at you, she'll slit the car tires on your car. She's dangerous. So I felt like the Lord said, we need to go see her. <laughs> <laughs> but as I, sh- as I shared in the conference, I took my 95-pound wife to protect me. <laughs> I think... And we went to see Sue. She lived in a mobile home. And we started talking. I asked her about what this was about and tried to speed it up a little bit. She said, I'll be right back. I'll be right back. So she went to the bedroom, came back with a scrapbook. It's about this thick. Scrapbook. And she has cuttings out of the newspapers. Sue... Blank, her last name, incarcerated for contributing to delinquency of minors. Sue arrested for assault and battery. Sue arrested for drunken behavior. Sue, all the time she'd been arrested and put in jail, she, she was proud of it and had a scrapbook of it. She liked the fact that she could whip most men. And then she said... But I'm facing penitentiary, I'm, I'm facing big time. I'm facing, it, it could be many years in prison because I went to this bachelor party. Now, what's a woman going to a bachelor party? It, that doesn't make sense to start with. But, but it was her brother was there and she was an alcoholic And every one of her brothers were alcoholics. Her mother was an alcoholic. Her dad was an alcoholic. It's a whole alcoholic family. And they're all lost. Nobody really knows Jesus. And she said, I went to this party because I was worried about my brother. And they got in a fight. And there was a sailor who was home on leave, about to be married the next day. And they they were all beating on my brother. And I was afraid they were going to kill him. So I went and she kept a butcher knife underneath the front seat of her car. Very few women do that. And she said, I grabbed it and I ran in and I stabbed. Actually, he ended up stabbing the, the groom. And he almost died. And now she's really talking, we're talking a very serious sentence. And then she said, But what happened when you said that about your dad not wanting your child, his children to follow his footsteps? She said, I was proud of this, but I'm pregnant. And I have a little baby girl in my womb. I'm not proud of this anymore, and I don't want her walking in my footsteps. And then she said, I need to be really saved, but I don't want to do it just because I'm in, about to go to jail. I, it's got to be real because I, I, I got to be really changed. And I spent time talking to her, and, and, and she, anyway, long story short, um, she was trying to change. I could see she's sincere and she's coming to the church and I just keep sharing the gospel with her and, and and so I wrote a letter to the judge and I went to, the, to her hearing for sentencing and the judge said, is uh, Reverend Clark here? And I stood up and said, yes, I am. He said, I read your letter about what is going on in Sue's life and based upon this letter, I'm tempted to just put her into your custody, so to speak, and not give her a sentence. And then he pulls out her rap sheet. But there'd be no justice to the other family if I did that. But instead of sentence her to 60 years, I'm going to sentence her to 60 days in women's penitentiary in Indianapolis. And then when she gets out, she's yours. <laughs> <laughs> my wife and I would drive up the Indianapolis Penitentiary, Women's Penitentiary, and we'd share the gospel. I gave her uh, Nikki Cruz, Run Baby Run, Cross the Switchblade, and a real easy-to-read Bible. And, and I'd, every time I'd go up, my chair, I'm, not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. So one time, she's just about to be released. I, uh, she comes in, and as soon as she comes through the door, I know she's been saved. Her countenance is different. And I knew she's going to tell me she got saved. But I'm curious. I'm also a little bit jealous. Why didn't you get saved when I was talking to you? You know, you know, I would like to have led you to the Lord. I'm thinking that, but I don't say anything. I'm just happy she got saved. So I asked her, how do you know it's really real? She said, because I'm so full of peace and I'm so full of joy. And I'm praying for the man I stabbed that he and his family will come to know Jesus too. And she said, and when I get out, The first Sunday home, we had a little bitty river right behind the church. I want to be baptized. I said, okay. It was cold, too. Man, it was was, to see your breath. It was like, oh, why couldn't I get saved in the summer? Uh, (laughs) And uh, so we go out into the river. This story is really about to get good. We go out into the river, and I baptize her. And when I do, as she's made her confession of faith, up on the bank is her whole family. Mom, dad, brothers, every one of them lost, every one of them an alcoholic, and they watched her. And before long, her brother, Harry, gets saved. Another brother gets saved. I dedicate the babies that they're starting to have. Mom gets saved. Her dad gets saved. Two of the brothers become deacons in the church, and she became within one year Sunday school teacher. And for over 18 years, every time her baby had a birthday, she sent me a card. Showing her it's a transformation, but there's also faith. See, Sue's six foot, two two fifty. She wouldn't win a beauty contest, and she said, "I have a rap. I'm a felon. I've got this rap sheet. I've got a a, a child uh, and." What man is going to want me? I've ruined my life. And I had a gift of faith. I said, I don't know how God's going to do it, but I believe if you'll put God first, he will bring you a husband. And he did. There is forgiveness, not just forgiveness, not just justification. There is power for sanctification. To, to not only be, I reckon you're right, I'm going to make you right, and the gospel is both, not just one or the other. This part, the justification, is important because it's the access to the throne of grace to help us in our time of need. You may say, well, I'm already forgiven, but you're, all of us are going to have times of need. And if we are not justified, if we're not one of his children, we have no legal access to that throne of grace to obtain and receive help in our time of need. Jesus, what he did at the cross gave you access to the throne of grace to obtain power regardless of what it is you're facing. Some people say, oh, you Christians, all that Christianity is just a crutch. One of them told me that one day when I was a teenager or 20 something, I said, you're right. Every person I've met, is disabled. I said crippled, but you know, that's probably not a good word anymore. What's your crutch? Mine is Jesus. Or the, and the Spirit, but what's yours? Is it alcohol? Is it drugs? You know, what is your crutch? Everybody needs help. Which one do you want released to you, and why did Jesus die? Healing, forgiveness. On the day of, and it was so big that he, Jesus wanted, that God wanted, the Father wanted the church to be able to understand, and the people of God to be able to understand when Jesus came, what he was doing. So on the healing, he was like the atonement, the, the, the lamb that was blood was put on the doorpost and death angel would pass over. And they ate the flesh and it, Psalms teaches us that not one person, over 2 million people came out of Egypt, slaves, no sick, not, not one weak one, nobody stumbled. That's a miracle. You got 2 million people, you got them all age groups and nobody is Sick, nobody's weak, nobody stumbles. How did that happen? That that, that is a miracle. It's a huge miracle. That's where the creek became really, that's the biggest thing in in the whole Old Testament about healing. It happened on Passover night. And I believe it happened as they ate the flesh of the Paschal Lamb that today is represented in the body of Christ in our Lord's Supper. He wanted us to understand it so well that on the Day of Atonement, when they forgave the sins of the people, there was the goat. The first goat, they cut its throat, take its blood, put it on its vessels. Now he goes into the Holy of Holies to intercede for the people. Jesus is our high priest. He's also the goat that was slain. Through his blood, he entered entered into the very sanctuary of God. Then the high priest came out and laid his hands on the second goat. Now, this first goat is justification. The second goat is sanctification where he is, uh, the sins are placed on, and they take it out outside the camp where Jesus was taken outside the camp to be crucified. I mean, they take him outside the camp, bearing away the sins of the people. Jesus loves us so much, he just doesn't want to justify us. He wants to sanctify us. He wants to give us power over the besetting sins that hurts us. God hates sin because sin hurts us. God loves us so he hates what hurts us and he wants not only to reckon us right, but if he reckoned us right and if that's it, if it stopped there and you still got all these problems and these, you're still practicing all these things that hurts you, there's ve- there's, one, there's no freedom there. And so God wants to, yes, because what Jesus said, I'm going to reckon you right. It's a great transaction. I'll, I'll, he'll tell you, your sin, and give you his righteousness. And he reckons this right. That's good. That now gives us access. But he wants to do more than that. He said, I actually want to set you free. I love you, you can come just the way you are. We used to say that in the vineyard. Come as you are, you'll be loved. And then we'd say, but he loves you so much he won't let you stay the way you are. Because he wants to make you better and more free than what you are. Oh gosh. Anyway, so, third reason. Jesus died at the cross to be able to deliver you. And I've already alluded to it. In the Exodus, 2 million people got delivered from the greatest army uh, there was at that time. Now, this is not theology to me. It is, but it's not. It's more than that. This is my family experience. I, you know, I, I love it when they say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then I say the God of grandma, and the God of grandpa, and the God of my mom and my dad, and a living faith, and the, the stories of God interacting in our family. And I'm telling you, as much as you need to teach your children lessons from Sunday school and children's church and whatever, they need to know what God has done in their family life. They need to know the miracles you have seen. They need to know the family history. And and God is just not the God in the Bible way back there, but he's the God right now. He's the God in our family. And I want to tell you something. I am so glad that my Grandpa Ray, my mom's dad, I am so glad I never got to know him. I am glad he died. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> he was an alcoholic, womanizer. And he'd get mad, he'd tear up the furniture. And my mom would tell me as an adult child of an alcoholic, how it, it, it scarred her. And uh, those stories were so horrible that when I was backslidden at 18 years old for 10 months, 11 months, I would they could be dropping acid, doing speed, and smoking weed. I could be right there in the car, but if they popped a beer can, let me out of here, because I was so scarred by my mom uh, talking about what my grandpa was like, the one that died. But the grandpa I knew, thank God, was different. I sat by him in church in the amen corner. Grandma's over in the shouting corner. Grandpa's in the amen corner. And and, you know, they had the hankies and just, and, uh, and I'd seen him cry because of the grace of God. And I'd listened to his prayers. Humble man, eighth grade education. Grandma was illiterate. And uh, back time, the first male in my family go past eighth grade. Um, and uh, I love the sweetness, the gentleness of this grandpa. I didn't know the grandpa that died, the alcoholic womanizing wife, beating, furniture-destroying, mean man. But the unusual thing is my grandpa, Ray, my mom's dad, and my dad both died on the same night. They died at a... Mourners' bench in the front of that little Baptist church when they responded to the gospel, and the old men died, and they were born again, and I have a new grandpa, no longer an alcoholic. He never took, he never touched another drop of alcohol in his life, and I, I, I really appreciate and admire and think that one of the best churches anywhere you can go is called AA. Very little hypocrisy there, a lot of grace, and a lot of one-on-one discipleship. And I thank God for it, but my grandpa, was, he, he had a one-step, or maybe it was a one kneel. I'm not sure, but he never, had, he, never, he never got drunk again, never drank a- again the rest of his life. He never touched another woman. He got my grandmother pregnant when she, she wasn't a Christian yet and she was a guitar player in a honky tonk and he got her pregnant while he's married to another woman and had another child and he was he would, he before he was died and was born again he had a sexual addiction too but he never touched another woman in unfaithfulness the rest of his life he was changed he was changed and I believe if we had more better conversions, we wouldn't need so much, we wouldn't need as much inner healing, and I believe in inner healing. But there's a lot of stuff that we, we, you know, it seems like we used to talk about praying through. Praying through until you had the assurance that you know that God has saved you because you, you actually felt... His grace come in and the guilt leave and the weight leave and nobody had to tell you that you were, you were born again. You were supposed to stay and keep praying until you know you are. And I, I'm not saying that's, I'm, I know that's not the, I thought that was the old time religion. Then in school, I found out it was the new Majors of Finney in <laughs> the, the 1800s. But anyway, it worked for me. And I believe there's need of going deeper so people are freer. And then they won't have as much after work. We, we have a lot of what I call, um, what is it? When you're, uh, when you're not doing well as a newborn and they put you in this little bitty thing. Incubator. We have a lot of Christians that had such a poor birth. They need a lot of incubators for a long time. And if we had better conversions... Going deeper to start with, we wouldn't need so much of the incubator situation in the church. So, last one. So you would be baptized in the Spirit. I've alluded to it a little bit. But I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 32 years old and again at 37, and again at 41. All of those brought huge changes in my life as far as what I could believe God for. The, the, the level of passion, the depth of commitment, the faith, the, the actual cooperating and, and working with a as a co-laborer with God was just whew, heightened. Why did Jesus have to die? So the power of the Holy Spirit could come and you could be filled, not just indwell, not just uh, sealed, and not just come to life by the Spirit, but be overwhelmed by the Spirit. Not just have the Spirit in you, but coming upon you. It comes in you for you, but upon you for others. We, there's a great need in ch- the church. For more of us to have faith that after conversion and we are, as they said, in the early church, having received forgiveness, we have been fitted. Now that we have become a Christian, we have been fitted to receive the gifts of the Spirit. We have been made and brought to a place to, to now ask God to fill us. It was seen as a subsequent Experience, but in subsequent, it often wasn't very long. Sometimes you're still wet. <laughs> you know, you've been baptized, you know, they renounce, you know, they do a prayer for uh, deliverance and all, but then there's a ceiling and a praying that you'd be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's all kind of seen as this is all what you need to do, but you need to get right with God so that now you're fitted to receive all that God has for you. So, as I stand before you, I'm not Pontius Pilate. But I am an ambassador of reconciliation. And I have good news. He loves you more than you love yourself. He believes in you more than you believe in yourself. He wants to give you faith that you can not only be justified but he can change you and it, it and i don't i like this argument well is it instantaneous or is it progressive it's both i mean i had taught that at my church once i taught here's the times for people it's instantaneous and it's not like it's like i don't use the word entire though it's like it wasn't like i've taught you get saved and over time you're getting better it's kind of slow it's a progress you're getting better, you're getting better, you're getting better. It's kind, you can't, you know, if you're looking at it day by day, you can't hardly even tell anything's happening, but you know, you started there, and just taking several years, you're up to here, you just keep getting better. But really, it's more like, you know, getting better. Well, I have a problem there. Oh, there's another problem. You know, it's more like this, but over time, hopefully, even the low spot here is higher than it was when you started, as far as your level of <laughs> obedience to God. But, and I think that is true, but I also think in the midst of that, you can have these experiences where you're going like this, and it's really almost hard to even see the growth, and something happens, you have this experience with the power of God, and you have this, yeah. bam. Now, you're still not perfect, and now you've you got some more, and you can have, I've had three or four of those. I mean, one of the things that I regret is that I didn't grow up in a tradition where I ever heard that possibility even preached. Wow. It wasn't because of my tradition that had happened to me because nobody ever preached that was even possible. So I have good news. Why would you want to choose Jesus? If you'd be born again, yes. justified, access to power, access to mercy, access to the gifts of the Spirit that you could be, You can. you really can by His grace have the scars of your life healed. There can be addictions in your life that's broken. And there can be family, familiar spirits going through your family. And you see, well, there's, there's this, we have this problem of alcoholism. We have this problem with sex addictions. We have these problems. It goes back in our family. That stuff can be broken. You may need to be healed today. Jesus died that you could be. You may need to be delivered from something today. Jesus died that you could be. You may need the the sense of a new identity of of the potential you have in your life, and he'll give that to you. You got a great helper. And now it's the other. If I go away, my father will send another. And in Greek, there's two words for another. This is one. This is another. Another. I wish I had another one of these. Do I, give, me, give me those two. This, this illustration has got to work. <laughs> All right. One Greek word for another. Here's one. Here's another. Here's the other Greek word. This is the Greek word Jesus said, said was using when he said, the Father will send you another. It's the word parakletos. We use it, comforter, counselor, guide, helper. Here am I, Jesus. Father's going to send you another. As you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But this other is just like me, as I am like the Father. And where I am limited in space and time and can only be in one place at a time, now by the Holy Spirit, we're able to be everywhere all at once, all over the world. I said, I'd like to have Jesus my helper. He said, "Hey, I got something better for you. It's to your advantage that I go away, because if I go away, the Father's going to send the other." Would you stand? If you have a ministry team at the church, I don't know if you do or not. Probably, if they, if they want to come up here to the front, and um, your need this, I, I like big invitations. If you're here, and, 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 and by the way, I didn't share this, but when I was 18, I literally was a hypocrite. I was in church three times a week, and I stoned that summer every day. And, and I was running in the wrong crowd, but I didn't get out of church. said, why did you stay in church? I was afraid. I just wanted to go visit the prodigal land. I didn't want to stay there. And when I, when I purposely began to do stuff, I knew was wrong at 18, and be, came back slidden, I didn't want to get so far out of church I couldn't find my way back home. And the Lord would not let me go either. He was the hound of heaven. He, he is like He was on my trail. He, and, and I, I just love that He didn't let go of me. But I also know I was miserable when I was one foot trying to be one thing in the church. But I knew it wasn't and at the same time in the world. So one night, my car is full of smoke, and it's not the Shekinah glory, but it did have a sweet, it did have a sweet smell to it. Maybe it's like incense, or and and the, my friends start talking. What are we going to do when we get? When we're about to graduate high school. I was 18. What are we going to do? And my friend said, uh, one of them, he said, uh, I, I, I'm, going to Viet, I'm, "I'm going to Canada because he didn't want to go to Vietnam," and and we had a lot of our friends coming home in body bags and without legs, and we were we were very angry. And one of my friends said, "I'm, I, I'm going to Canada." Another said, "I am going to have all the drugs and all the girls I want," and a, a, another said, "Man, I'm 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 going to have. I'm just going to get drunk a lot." One of my friends was 18. He's already an alcoholic. And he came to me and said, I'm going to be a preacher. And I thought, oh, my God, where did that come from? I did not mean to say that. I had never thought I'd ever be a preacher. And I was like, where where did that come from? And it's like the Holy Spirit said, but it is in your heart. You buried it. I, and I, 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 (laughs) within a few weeks, I was almost killed. My grandmother and my mother caused us to believe in healing because she told me when she was five, I was five years old where she heard God's voice, my illiterate grandmother. And he said, If you'll go into the, about 10 feet away to the other bedroom and pray, I'm going to heal you. And it happened instantly. A big goiter just, like a hot hand, went down her throat and it just disappeared. It, that's what created hunger in me at five years old about healing. It was my grandmother's story. And then at 18, it becomes my story because. I was almost killed. My second best friend, right beside me, was in the other seat, killed. I was driving, another guy hits us. My cousin, who hated Christians because of, well, never mind, um, he was mad at me because I had a job and I had a new car. I'd worked in the oil fields, and I was the one who bought the recreational material. And uh, uh, and now I have given it to the youth director to say, flush it. And I've given my life back to God. And I broke up relationships I shouldn't have been in. And my cousin in the back seat says, Clark, they call me by my last name in high school, Clark, you know if we had a wreck right now, you'd die and go to hell. And Joe, who I named my daughter after, Johanna, uh, who was my second best friend, he looked at me and he said, that's right, Clark, you would, you would. But you see, he and I had three days before a conversation. I was Baptist. He was Roman Catholic. And he said, I I admire what you have done. I admire how you have, you know, and and I'm going to do the same thing. But I have some wild oats I want to sow right now. And when I get 30, I'm going to do what you just did. I'm going to become a good Catholic, and I'm going to quit getting drunk every day and stoned every night. And, uh, uh, I, and I, that's, that's what I'm going to do. And I didn't share the gospel with him. And three days later, we're driving down the road. My cousin says, We had a wreck. You'd die and go to hell. And I said, No, I wouldn't. And Joe looked at me and said, You would. And I looked at Joe and I said, No, I wouldn't, Joe. How about you? That's a heavy conversation for 18-year-olds. Within five minutes, we are hit by a car. I'm knocked off the road. I go from here to the sound booth and hit a concrete culvert, and I'm almost killed, and Joe is killed. And I didn't share the gospel with him, and he had good intentions of one day getting right with God. Don't make Joe's mistake. If the Holy Spirit is knocking at your heart to give your life to God, maybe for the first time, to receive forgiveness. Nothing you've done that he won't forgive. Perhaps it's rededication. And perhaps you've never really believed him for the healing in your body you need. Whatever it is, Jesus is the answer because that's what he purchased for you and me at the cross. I want, if there's nothing else that happens to resolve this message, is that you next Sunday will be an enriched worshiper as you meditate upon more that happened for you at the cross wow. than what you knew. Wow. And I wished I had the time to give the other 16 reasons, but I don't. <laughs> so I'm going to count to 10. And whatever your need is, you want prayer, the ministry team is here to pray with you. Uh, and, and and you can come for salvation, rededication, deliverance, uh, filling with the Spirit, whatever it is you're wanting. Um, um, just just come forward. I'm going to count from ten to zero. Zero's over. I'm turn it over to the prophet. And you better get right, or he may God may show him what you're hiding. <laughs> no, it, it's to encourage and comfort and edify. <laughs> you ready? Father, I thank you for the moving of your spirit, and I thank you for the cross. I thank you for the one who died on the cross, the one you raised from the dead, who now lives and ever intercedes for us. In Jesus' name, I pray that if there's blinders on anybody, that's kept them from coming to Jesus, believing that he would forgive them, that you would take the blindness away, and they would understand and believe and have faith you would forgive them. I pray that they would feel you knocking. I pray that it would be like I was at seven. I just started crying, and and I hadn't done anything really bad at seven years old, but I knew that what God was saying is, I want you. I want your life. And I wouldn't give him my life. And for nine years, I kept saying, no, no, no. Lord, I pray that today we'd say, yes. May the layers over our ears, every time we say no, it's like a layer kind of goes over our ear, makes it a little harder to hear when the Holy Spirit drawing us. So I pray, Father, in Jesus' name, that you would draw people now, in Jesus' name. In this next da- countdown to zero, you can come now. Ten. Nine. Eight. You can come to Jesus. Seven. For whatever you need. Six. He loves you. He wants to touch you. He wants to bless you. Five. Come to Jesus. Tell them what you need so they can pray specifically. Four. Three. Two. One. And if you have come, and some of you have come to give your life to Jesus for the first time, if we can identify who those are, if you come over to this corner here, if you've come for forgiveness, for salvation, just come over to this side. Prophet. All right, well, let's give Randy a big thank you for just sharing all of that with us.